Uh, my job this afternoon was to try and take us on in looking at some of our values that we've been looking at um, as hub. Uh, the apostolic, being pr- pr- prophetic and praying, being welcoming, being div- diverse, being gracious and being caring. And I wanted to do that really by looking at Mary Magdalene and how she encountered Jesus. And she had a pretty dramatic encounter. And I think her story touches on many of the different aspects and values that we've got. A number of our values that we've shared are exhibited in her encounter uh, with Jesus. The story of Mary Magdalene is full of the grace of God, full of the welcome of God that cuts across social barriers. It's full of prophetic provocation to the audience in terms of God's power being experienced and acceptance of all. And in her ministry is laid the foundation for what the apostles were going to do in terms of proclaiming uh, the, the resurrected Jesus. So, uh, thanks guys. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark 15 and Mark 16. Please try to still be aware of the presence of Jesus. He's here and he wants to work in us. And I don't know exactly what he wants to do. But I trust that he will do what he wants. So Mark 15 is where we first encounter Mary. We haven't got a lot of stuff about Mary Magdalene. But in Mark 15, it says this. Some women, verse 40, were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joses, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Going down to verse 46. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took the body down, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Turn with me to Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus of the the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. This is a resurrection story. Mary and other women who had followed and cared for Jesus in his ministry when he was alive were watching while the one they loved was crucified and killed. They continued to watch to see where his body was laid. And so Mary was there during the ministry, the life of Jesus, caring and providing for him, but was also there 
at his crucifixion. In verse 1 of chapter 16, they're taking spices to anoint his body. Probably their last act, so they thought, of care for the one they loved. I wonder if you've had one of those moments. I can think back to after my mum died, how uh, I think it was the first Mother's Day after she died. I'm walking through to the town centre with some flowers to put on our graveside. And it was an amazing feeling to think, I'm doing this for my mum. Here are these disciples, these women, supposedly taking the spices to anoint his body, probably thinking, this is something we can still do for Jesus, even though he's died. They head to the tomb. They think they're going to be dealing with his body. They saw him die. They saw where he was laid. They're working out how to deal with the problems they know they'll face. How do we get rid of that stone that's been rolled in front? But instead, they have to deal with his life. And we have to too, isn't, don't we? And isn't that our prayer for our families, for our friends, that somehow they encounter this Jesus who is alive, who's walking amongst us, who's here to heal and deliver and set free, and that in encountering him, they can no longer just say he was a historical figure who died. But actually, he's alive. That something will get into them that they have to deal with the fact that this one is alive. How they'll deal with it, I don't know. But they can't deny what they experience. These ladies were not expecting resurrection. It had caught them by surprise, despite all that Jesus had said. Three times on Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, he predicted his death and his resurrection. Again, at Passover, before this crucifixion, he'd spoken of his resurrection, but no one was expecting it. Isn't resurrection like that? Suddenly, unexpectedly, changing a situation. I want to play you a little clip of a testimony that I heard this week that is one of those kind of encounters. Because you need to be empowered and equipped for the cause to which God is calling you. And I want to finish by telling you one more story. If this is, I guess it is, it's fine. Um, one more story has nothing to do with me. It's about a young Bible college student who was part of a vineyard in Kristiansand in Norway. We're part of a big family, people. There are vineyards all over the face of the earth. And this is one in Christiansand, which I don't think is, I think it's quite an obscure little town. And I'll read it most of it from her own account of a rather remarkable bus journey. She wrote and said, I was on my way home from Bible school, she was doing a course, when I got on the bus and I noticed a girl that I hadn't seen in over 10 years. And I thought, oh, I'd better go and sit next to her. She had a baby with her. And I said, oh, is it fun to have a baby? She said, no. And I thought to myself, this is verbatim, I should never have asked her and I should certainly never have taken the seat beside her. But the young mother started to tell me about how difficult life had been for her. Her parents had divorced, she had no contact with her father, she found herself with a child by a passing boyfriend. Her mother wanted her to have an abortion, but God bless her, she refused. And when she gave birth to her baby boy, her boyfriend left her. And when her mother saw the grandchild, she continued to say that she should have had an abortion because he was so ugly. Imagine. 
The baby was born with an open cleft lip. As this girl said, I could clearly see. I felt sorry for her and I didn't know what to say. But as we talked, a Bible verse came into my mind about being salt and light. It was very scary. I started to get a headache. I felt someone was shouting in my head. It got louder and louder. I was embarrassed. I got annoyed arguing with God. God, I'm not interested in being here on this bus. It's very honest. This is embarrassing. This is a small city. Everyone knows each other. This is not going to happen anyway. But I knew I had to pray for her. So I leant towards her in a tiny, small voice. Is it okay if I pray? I made myself, quoting, as little as I could, and with a very quiet voice, and speaking very fast, so that the people in the bus could hear, not hear me, I said, God, will you please interfere in the situation? <laughs> That's a fabulous prayer. You stop to think about it. God, will you interfere in the situation? <laughs> lady certainly had to deal with resurrection, that young mum. And imagine when she tells her child, when the child is older, of what happened when she encounters Jesus. And we have to deal with resurrection. Who knows what Jesus' resurrected life has already been doing this week or this day? Who knows what he wants to do later this day or this next week? Sometimes it's sudden and unexpected other times it's almost imperceptible and time shows it for what it is. But Jesus is present. He's here. He's walking amongst the lampstand. He's with you. He's with me. And he has resurrection work to do. Mary Magdalene had had a pretty amazing encounter with Jesus. Verse 9 says that seven demons have been driven out of her. I wonder what that was like for Mary. Presumably she had felt pretty imprisoned, pretty trapped, pretty unable to live freely. And she has this encounter, knowing the power of the resurrected Jesus to cleanse her life, to free her of demonic oppression, to set her free. What is that all about? It's not easy to be precise when we encounter these kind of verses in the scripture, but it's to do with the powers of evil that were oppressing her, that were imprisoning her, that were attacking her, that were trapping her in some way. And Jesus knows that she's not the enemy, it's the demonic. And so he comes along and sets her free from what has been imprisoning her. My mind goes to that amazing scene in Lord of the Rings. You know, where is it Theoden, the King Theoden? is healed by Gandalf with his staff. And there's some wonderful lines in there where Gandalf says to him, as he, as he is delivered from this evil oppression, too long have you lived in the shadows. And it ends with, it's time to breathe the free air again. Mary, living in the shadows, imprisoned, now free, 
now breathing. That's her encounter with the resurrected one. Well, before he was died and resurrected, actually. And casting out demons, setting people free, is the most frequent miracle that Jesus engages in in the Gospels. We don't talk about it a lot, do we? It's a strong prophetic sign of the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the way of God being established and breaking into the life of someone. Jesus, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, goes around announcing that the kingdom of God is present where he is present. And Jesus does battle, freeing people in his own name from evil oppression. The gospel writers use the language of demon or unclean spirit or occasionally evil spirit. They speak of some kind of relationship whereby this unclean spirit has some kind of influence on a person. We don't need to know the precise nature of it. We just need to know it's not good and Jesus can set us free. In the gospels, this influence produces at various times, violent behavior, deafness, dumbness, blindness, epilepsy, self-destruction. You can look through the gospel accounts. That doesn't mean that always there's a demon behind those things, but sometimes there was. And Jesus comes to set her free. And Jesus frees these people. He knows that people are not the enemy. As he comes doing battle, he's doing battle against the one who's the real enemy, Satan and his, his, his evil spirits who are oppressing people and impacting people. That's the real enemy. And Jesus comes pronouncing the kingdom of God, cleansing the land of our lives so that we can be free in our relationship with him. In the Gospels, the demons often react in Jesus' presence. They often express fear. They know that he is more powerful and they recognize who he is. And maybe some of us who need that kind of freeing. The Jesus ministry of dealing with the enemy is still real today. Why? Because he is. We now have Jesus living in us by his spirit. We now are anointed by his spirit to pray, to journey with people, to see people set free. So how do you know? If you need that kind of ministry. Maybe there's something you're unable to break free from. Maybe there's a sense of a lack of control in an area of your life. Maybe habitual sin you can't overcome. Maybe you feel like, like in that Lord of the Rings, you're living in the shadows in some way. Jesus is still present to set you free. Sometimes in life, we simply end up being oppressed. Stuff happens. The enemy rides in on the back of it and oppresses us. And Jesus wants to set us free. There's nothing wrong with needing to be set free. Let's just get set free. Maybe you're sitting there and there's, there's an accusation or a voice telling you you can't be free. Maybe your insides are churning, disturbed. Maybe there's a reaction going on in your person. Jesus wants to set you free free and we'll make room at the end to pray nothing to be fearful of Jesus is the greater one simply part of what he does when he's around many of us have had the joy of being set free 
Maybe it's been over a period of time. Maybe we look back and go, I used to be like this. Or this used to impact me. Or, I couldn't get free of this. But now I'm free. Sometimes it takes time to get free. But many of us could look back and see how, we, how free we are. From her encounter then, this powerful encounter with Jesus, Mary follows Jesus and with other women had a significant role in his earthly ministry, caring for his needs. I mean, you can imagine it, can't you? Having experienced this kind of power encounter, she's pretty devoted to following this one. You do know that following in Mark is pretty well synonymous with being a disciple. It's the language Mark uses, follow me. That's being a disciple. Mary's been freed much. She's been forgiven much. She's been loved much. And she experiences freedom from Jesus. So she's become a disciple, a follower. And her path of discipleship has included that kind of encounter. This cleaning up, this freeing is part of discipleship. And she, as a woman in that culture, was welcomed as a disciple of Jesus. But here she is in this narrative, ends up watching Jesus as he is crucified, hearing him cry his last. These women who had cared for his needs in Galilee, no longer able to meet his needs, just able to watch. But listen to this. They didn't abandon him. If you go back to chapter 14, don't turn to it now. Jesus had been deserted by everyone. They had fled. The disciples had gone. And Peter, even more than that, denies Jesus. Here, Mary doesn't desert. Pretty heroic. And then Mary ends up being the first privileged person to be the first witness and proclaimer of Jesus' resurrection. Having come to minister, the ladies find Jesus gone and the tomb empty. And the angelic being presumably spoke and they were filled with fear. And instead of continuing their ministry of need meeting, Mary gets a new ministry. She becomes the first witness of the resurrection. She, a woman in a society that denigrated women, now the first witness. And it's not even clear that the testimony of women would have been accepted in the courts in their day. And God chooses her as first witness. If that was made up by a gospel writer, he chose a pretty poor story to tell because you wouldn't do that. But that's what's happened. And she becomes the first proclaimer of this resurrected one as she goes and tells the disciples. What the New Testament apostles, those called apostles in the New Testament, would do after her, she does first. Those called apostles in the New Testament were those who were witnesses of the resurrection. Remember when they wanted to replace Judas, they wanted someone who had witnessed the things that had gone on. They were called to be witnesses of the resurrection and they are sent ones to proclaim. That's exactly what Mary does. Witnesses and proclaims. 
laying the foundation for what the apostles would continue to do and proclaiming about the crucified and risen Lord. So she's quite a hero. Someone who was demonized, oppressed, becoming a follower or disciple, a need supplier to the Son of God as he ministered in his life, then a watcher as he was crucified and as his body was taken down, then the first to encounter him alive. She becomes a proclaimer of all that has taken place. What a journey of discipleship. What an encounter with Jesus. Being set free. But as wonderful as being set free was, it's done in the context of a ministry to continue to do. She wasn't set free to live in a vacuum. She was set free in order that she could become something else in Christ. And for her, that was firstly a, a provider of needs to Jesus in his life. And then secondly, a proclaimer of his resurrection to the apostles. Amazing. I want to commend Mary to you.